When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Edgy talk, plain talk, unrivaled talk. Mike Graham, the only radio show you can count on for a proper serving of good old-fashioned common sense. In search of the perfect debate. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. See it, hear it, think it. Talk radio and talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. It feels like we've been away for quite a long time because the last time uh, I was actually sitting here was over three weeks ago. It was a Thursday morning. I remember it very clearly because uh, I missed Richard Tice on the Friday because I was doing breakfast. I've been doing breakfast all this week as well, but I'm delighted to say Richard Tice is back looking very refreshed after his trip down to Kent. Uh, we'll be talking more about that a little bit later on. Uh, I'm very refreshed, obviously, after having been to Italy for a couple of weeks where there was no shortage of bottled water, uh, where there was no droughts, where there were no hosepipe bans and where everybody was swimming in the sea, just like you can here. Uh, I was on with Jeremy Cole last night and Piers Morgan Uncensored saying, you know, what is wrong with having desalination plants in this country? Why on earth can we not have them? We've got one in Beckton. It's not operational because apparently it's too expensive to light it up with electricity. Well, you know, it's absolutely incredible to me that we are now finding ourselves in a position where in Yorkshire uh, they're imposing a hosepipe ban. People in Yorkshire are saying it's been raining. It's not even that dry. I remember summers in this country being uh, very, very dry. I've played an awful lot of golf on some very brown golf courses over the course of time. This is not anything new. People are trying to tell us that we're in a, an unregulated heat wave and it's never been this bad. It's never been this intense. When I walked into work this morning, I felt rather nice. It wasn't very hot at all. It will get hot later on. But can everybody please calm down a little bit? Apparently we're going to run out of bottled water. In the 1970s, we didn't have any bottled water. Some maniac came up with the idea of bottling water and selling it to you. You used to just take it out of the tap. Huh? What's going on? Uh, they're not now collecting the food waste that they wanted you to put in the bins because they wanted you to recycle food. How about you just don't collect the food waste and you chuck it in the normal bin? What's going on with that? Anyway, there's lots to talk about. Uh, I want to talk about parking as well, because apparently there's an awful lot of people who are getting very frustrated about the parking situation. We're going to also talk about the end uh, of cheap air, air flights as well. And the NHS is once again in another crisis. Some 2.1 million people attended A&E last month, 20,000 fewer than June, and basically about where it was for 2019. But you still can't get to see a doctor, and there's an awful lot of problems with the ambulances as well. We've got loads to talk about. We want to hear your stories as well. 0344 Sebastian Gork is coming on to tell us what the latest is with Trump and the FBI as well. This is the Independent Republican Mike Graham. Let's do it. So here we are back in harness, the Independent Republican Mike Graham. Friday, beautiful looking day. The sky is clear. There's no clouds in it. It looks fantastic. Richard Tice is here looking very summery, Richard, uh, without a tie. I mean, 
I've come back from a very warm country where it was actually warmer than it was here. And I know in the north of Italy, I've had a few problems. But I mean, in the south of Italy, which is the hot, hottest part of Italy, it, everything works very well. People drive around in cars. They don't care about the speed limit. You know, it says 50. They do 100. Yeah. You know, nobody <laughs> seems to give them a ticket. That's Italy um, for you. There's no traffic jams. You know, uh, there's plenty of bottled water when you go to the beach clubs. I mean, you know, why are we so useless in this country at actually doing anything? Well, a very good morning. And it is glorious outside. I mean, yeah. it's Friday. Frankly, people should be enjoying the sun. We're having the best summer since 1976. Yeah. I, at the time, was 12. Yep. I actually remember it. Yeah, I do. And what's interesting is actually John Hammond earlier today saying, even now, it's not as dry and the drought conditions are not like what they were back yeah. in 1976. And I heard him say that he hopes for some rain in October. Well, don't worry about that, John. There'll be plenty of rain in October. We'll be sitting here <laughs> going, what about the floods? As always, I think people should enjoy it. Of course, you've got to be careful on... Uh, anything to do with any uh, any barbecues, uh, matches or anything, because yeah. it is dry and that, sure. that does create fire. But, you know, we should enjoy it. We should actually be grateful for it. And uh, as you know, we've been, you know, I think it's important to sort of say, well, let's celebrate the glorious uh, British weather. Mm. I've been down to the seaside. You have. I've tested the temperature of the English Channel. Let yeah. me tell you, it is fantastic. Listen. I was in earlier this week twice a day yeah it's like the mediterranean market. well i've got a slight issue to to, to pick up on there because uh, you sent me a picture earlier this week saying that, i couldn't uh, resist it you were down on this on the south coast i think we're about to show it uh, now if you're watching you know please avert your eyes if you're easily uh, freaked <laughs> out there's richard tice um in his natural habitat right <laughs> hair is not greased back um got a towel over his shoulder he's in a place called sandwich sandwich which is a, a lovely part of the world and a great golf course uh, yeah were you on that sort of separate that private estate because my sister finally i've got married there yeah Yes, uh, because her husband had a had a place in one of those you know those That's big right. white houses. Exactly there, it's Beautiful. fantastic, and the sea was so warm, it was amazing. Yeah. It was, literally, it's like the men. And my view is, frankly. If that's global warming, mm. bring it on, because exactly. for Britain, it's fantastic. And isn't it amazing there's nobody there? there was, I mean, well, the it was quite empty. early. It was about 6.30 in the morning. <laughs> I mean, I did say to your other half that I was slightly disturbed to, to have you sending me pictures of yourself half naked. But, you know... I was I, listening to the show I'm on not the against beach. it. Listen, I'm a very liberal-minded person, <laughs> and uh, I was very pleased to see you enjoying yourself. But the point about all of it is, uh, and we'll get to that, of course, soon, uh, uh, the, the, the migrant situation, because there's a couple of very bizarre stories to talk about. But, yeah, I mean... When I when I what I see and I was uh, going out from here out to Ealing last night to go do the show with Jeremy, you know the bars were absolutely overflowing. People were walking around. I mean everybody's dressed as if they're on holiday, which I think is great. I mean London has come alive. It looks like a sort of Mediterranean capital to me, and and I, I think most people are not you know cowering and hiding away from the heat. They're actually rather enjoying it. I think so, and I think most people have uh, common sense and. You know, they know when to enjoy it and they know when they're thirsty and keep hydrated and all that good stuff. But I think we need to try and stop this complete authoritarian nanny state. Yeah. What really winds me up is when you see the weather forecast mm. and all of a sudden the whole country is now coloured in red. Yes. Whereas the same temperatures or higher 30 or 40 years ago and the country was still, the background mm. was still in green. And it's just this constant sort of... It's an extension of Project Fear. I've lost, it really I've is. lost the, what number of Project Fear it is. Well, I mean, I actually had a Labour Party um, shadow minister on yesterday. I think it was um, Reid, the, the justice guy, um, Steve Reid. And he was saying there's a you know climate crisis, there's a food crisis. There's. I said, do you not think we're suffering from a sort of crisis fatigue here? Can you stop telling us that there's a crisis about everything? Because there isn't one, there isn't a climate crisis. The climate's great. We're all enjoying it. There isn't a food crisis. You know, people say, oh, we're not going to be any food. 
Well, there's plenty of food. There's people now buying up bottles of water and they say, oh, we're going to run out of bottles of water. Well, we probably won't. You might remember towards the end of last year, we did shortage of the day. Yes, absolutely. We were being told we're going to run out of sausage rolls, we're going to run out of cabbage, we're going to run out of chicken. You know, we didn't run out of anything. No. We won't. It won't happen. Of course, we won't. what we do know is that uh, in many things, particularly energy, there is a price crisis. That's the, the key thing. Yes. And unfortunately, with energy, there's also going to be a supply crisis yeah. this year. And that will be, I think, first and foremost on people's minds over the coming months. That's the really big thing. Mm. And everybody seems to be missing in terms of uh, there's no sign of anything from the Conservative Party who are sort of gallivanting around the country with hustings mm. and... Uh, you know, people, their MPs seem completely devoid of any understanding of what's really going on, the extent yeah. of the crisis. There's no sign of Keir Starmer or anybody from well, the he's Labour on Party. He's in Mallorca, I'm, isn't he? I'm working up a, uh, a, a proper plan to deal with this, yeah. which I shall be releasing uh, sometime in the next week to 10 days right. when we've checked it all out, properly priced, properly costed, mm. properly funded, because that's what needed is a confident yeah. plan right. that people can say, right, actually... You know, this is this is how we get through this. Well, we can't seem to get any sense, can we, out of not only the two candidates but also their supporters. I mean, we had Theresa Villiers on this week, uh, which you which you witnessed and very kindly retweeted, um, who couldn't answer the question: How will Rishi Sunak tackle inflation? And when I then said to her, "Well, how would you do it?" she couldn't she couldn't answer that either. It it was tragic if it wasn't so laughable. Yeah. I mean, it was just the most extraordinary. And I thought you were relatively gentle with her. You just. You just quietly ask some very straightforward yeah. questions. And I've been asking the same question. Sunak keeps talking about we've got to go on top of inflation, mm. but he never says how. No. And no one's until then, had actually properly asked him, no. how are you going to and do it? And all they say is, well, what we're not going to do is, lo- is lower taxes. Well, why not? But, but th- if you lower taxes on consumer goods, mathematically, you reduce inflation. It is a simple mathematical fact. And no one seems to be challenging them. And it's quite extraordinary. Right. And now we're being told that uh, with, with the energy uh, problem, you know, they're not going to do anything uh, until they see what Ofgem say. And then we're probably going to have to wait until September the 5th when the new prime minister comes. They have a meeting yesterday. Boris Johnson apparently popped in to say hi um, and then left again um, and presumably nothing came out of it. By the time the new Prime Minister is in place with a new Chancellor and they get a budget out, mm. it will be essentially, we'll have already had the new Ofgem price. But I was appalled this morning. Therese Coffey was essentially blaming Ofgem for having the temerity and the cheek to move their caps from being six monthly to quarterly and that that was the cause of the crisis yeah, right. as opposed to the utter negligence mm of the Conservative Party over the last 12 years in dramatically reducing our uh, self-reliance on energy, uh, our availability of energy, making us more dependent on overseas Mm. energy. And guess what? Mm. That's fine when the sun shines, but the moment something breaks, all of a sudden you've got a price crisis, you've got a supply crisis, that's where we're at, and it's completely at their door. Yes, and I mean, they're making noises, aren't they, the Liz Truss uh, sort of campaign that they might well consider fracking. But again, nothing permanent, nothing sort of, you know, concrete that you could hang your hat on, nothing well, that and you could say they're definitely going to do and it. And it's those classic weasel, weasel words that, yes, they're, they're, they're pro-shale gas and fracking with local consent. Yes. Well, l- let me tell you, in America, uh, local consent is achieved very simply because local residents get a significant discount on yeah. their energy right. bills. That's how you get consent. Mm. But in it, the idea that you're going to go around every community and ask for consent... 
it's never going to happen. No, of it's course for not. the birds. It's and also, they, there's going to be sort of organised uh, dissent and organised, yes. um, you know, and, you know, an anti-movement about fracking, and then it won't happen. So it's those sort of weasel words. Yes, we're pro something, but and so everyone knows it'll never happen mm. if that's what they do. Right. You've got to say we've got a supply crisis. We need to deal with it clearly by this, this, and this, which includes uh, using our shale gas treasure trillion quid's worth. Yeah, I mean, you know, that deals with. The cost of living issues. That deals with a lot of the tax yeah. issues. You can create a sovereign wealth fund. There's so much opportunity there, but it requires courage, mm. it requires leadership, it requires forward vision, and I just don't think they've got it. No, and we haven't mentioned net zero yet because they won't walk away from that. I put that to the Labour guy, Steve Reid, and said, well, if you would at least stand up and say, we will remove these ridiculous tariffs, uh, because they were talking about Labour actually taking away the subsidies to the oil and gas industry. I said, well, what about the green subsidies? Oh, no, we've got to keep those. And it's like, you know, you don't see what people is, actually care about. There you? is a direct link between the increase in the quantity of renewable energy, i.e. wind mm. and a bit of solar, but mainly the wind, the offshore wind turbines, and the increase in the electricity price in the last 15 years. That is the key cause yeah. of the increase in electricity. Yeah. Uh, and that's been obviously uh, accentuated by uh, what's happened to the gas price in the last few months. The Tories are all blaming Ukraine. It's not. It's their negligence over the last few years yeah. that net zero has dramatically increased the price of our energy. It's reduced... Uh, the availability of uh, of fossil fuel energy. There's no coal-fired power plants to speak of. And uh, this crisis is, it is manufactured here in the UK. Mm. And it's it's at their door. Absolutely right. And we'll talk coming up next with Richard Tice, uh, leader of Reform UK, of course, about the migrant problem. Last week, an amazing uh, revelation from Richard uh, in the mail on Sunday and on his own show as well. 40% of the people coming on these boats uh, are in fact from Albania uh, and have got every right to come here legally. So why on earth are coming illegally is a different matter. We now hear today that some Afghan refugees who are currently being put up in hotels at a cost of upwards of £5 million a day are refusing to go to Scotland because it's too cold. What? This is Talk TV. On the app, on your smart speaker, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to Talk TV. This is the Independent Republican Mike Graham. It has back. Uh, I'm back. And so so are we. Richard Tice is here. How about this from Meg, who says, what a beautiful summer we're having. Who needs to go abroad to hot countries when we have it on our own doorstep? The meteorologists are acting like drama queens with their dire heatwave warnings. Darren says, Sakir has been reportedly spotted a number of times in Puerto Palenza, northeast Mallorca, a very nice area. I've been there. It is a very nice area. It is a fantastic area. Lots of fences for him to sit on as well, because just as you walk along by the side of the the, the shore there. There we are. That explains. Nice, it. Very nice uh, fences and, and also fences of another kind where you can buy lots of cheap uh, fake watches. <laughs> I highly recommend it. Anyway, let's talk about the problems that the government actually isn't facing right now, because in addition to the migrants, which we'll get onto, um, in addition to the shale gas that they're not exploiting, which we're being told now we could have for 400 or so years, you know, the problem they're going to have, surely, is when this inflationary spiral actually does properly get out of control, when people can't afford to pay their bills, and a burgeoning now group of people saying, we're just not going to pay them. Well, that's right. And, I mean, ultimately, if the government does nothing, then the people will essentially, uh, rather like what we saw with the poll tax, right? yeah. so people say enough is enough. Right. And, uh, you know, we obviously don't encourage people not to pay their bills, but we do encourage people to represent their MPs, this has got to be sorted yeah. out. And there is there is no question that the government is going to have to act. I think they need to act much faster mm. than they are because people are genuinely, genuinely terrified. We've just seen that actually we've now had uh, the f- first quarter of recession, the economy is shrinking, and everything is going the wrong way. Mm. 
But actually, it's all within the government's control yeah. to do something about it. Right. You've got to you've got to cut taxes on consumer goods. I think Liz Truss gets that. Yeah. What I don't think she gets is the gravity of the energy crisis yeah. that is coming at us hard. Right. I mean, it. Uh, and we're going know. to be speaking to Andrew Bowie coming up, Conservative MP for West Aberdeenshire and Kincardine. He's a Sunak supporter, and he's previously said he's spouts this Sunak line, which is that you know it's no good giving a tax cut to people because it doesn't help everybody. Well, that's nonsense, isn't it? Because even if pensioners aren't actually on an income tax basis. Everybody having more money to spend is going to help the economy and things are going to get cheaper. Completely. I, th I think the Sunak campaign is all over the place yeah. on this. It is just a simple fact that if you cut VAT on consumer goods, if you cut some of the levies on all of the bills, then the people who benefit the most are those on the lowest incomes for whom that is a greater proportion of their overall income. That yeah. is another mathematical fact mm. that this so-called you know, intellectual genius, Sunak, yeah. does not seem to realise. No. And, and I'm so very disturbed, actually, by, by his whole kind of show. Have you seen the way, I mean, I did this yesterday on The Breakfast Show, the way that he kind of comes out, he came to the hustings uh, here at Talk TV, and he's like some kind of stand-up comedian, Alan Partridge kind of figure. He comes out, oh, hey, oh, you know, he's kind of waving his arms around like everything's great. Well, everything isn't great, and he shouldn't be doing that. And and telling really, really off-colour jokes, weird jokes, like the one where he said, you know, oh, yes, we've been in lots of people's gardens. In fact, you know, a funny thing happened to me the other day. Somebody said to me, oh, Richard, you've got a really good tan. And everybody just kind of went, what? And it was just a sort of groan in the audience. It's awful. No, well, I just think that uh, they are um, they're, they're careering all over the country. They're doing dozens and dozens, if not hundreds, of these hustings. Yeah. And they're just not aware of what's really going on. And, you know, it's... And they're this, not this saying anything new, are they? I mean, I've been away for two weeks. They haven't said anything new, it seems to me, since the first two debates were held. Uh, they just keep saying the they're, same they're, things. They're, they're beginning to trickle out uh, some new stuff mm. as they start to realise that there's some, you know, there's some pressure coming mm. down the track. The Sunak camp knows that they're losing badly. So I think they're desperately trying to sort of do some things without, in a sense, sort of contradicting what they've previously right. said. And, look, I think that uh, th there's no doubt in my mind you, you've, you've got to cut taxes. Liz Truss is saying, you know, a recession's not inevitable if you go for growth. I mean, look, I think the reality is if you go for growth and cut taxes, then you can reduce the gravity of the recession. Yeah. But we've just had one quarter. I think we'll have another quarter. That technically is a recession. But it's how you act thereafter to reduce the impact and it's absolutely vital and that's not to mention all the strikes that are going on and such like and and that's before you talk about the uh, the afghan migrants that apparently well, don't want to go to scotland or wales yeah let's get to that because as ever i mean we'll be talking um, to our correspondent down uh, on the southeast coast not just you going down there uh, but we've got kim down there who's been out and about down in dungeness where continually uh, these people are coming over you found out last week incredibly that uh, from that report that 40 percent of them are albanians i mean i put several uh, politicians on the spot on that this week to say surely we can just send these people back now can't we and they're no, all full no, of mealy mouths all... so the story today is that afghan um refugees in hotels in this country are refusing to be relocated to scotland because it's too cold i mean you could argue they're applying common sense they don't want to go under the jurisdiction of nicola sturgeon or mark drakeford <laughs> well but, indeed I, but, I don't know um, why they don't want to go to wales i think it's too boring i think they said <laughs> but uh look in reality uh that is an, uh, an extraordinary story um, we're being very generous to the Afghans. But there's also another story mm. about the Albanians out, which is exactly as I predicted, yeah. which was that if Albanians can come here legally, 
why they come here illegally, un, you know, with with real danger across the channel. Yes. I suggested they're either foot soldiers for the criminal gangs, mm. or they're being trafficked into modern day slavery. Yeah. And of course, now what we're seeing is exactly that um, that some of them are using that as an argument with the Home Office mm. as to why they should be given right. asylum status. That actually is not a legitimate reason for asylum status no. uh, to become a refugee. What you should be saying is. Um, if you're being trafficked, we'll return you and deport you straight back to Albania, yeah. and then you won't be trafficked here right. in the UK under modern-day slavery. That's the logical, mm. uh, a- appropriate response, but I suspect this Home Office is not strong enough to do it. Well, no, they're not. And also, because the way the thing is set up now, as soon as you get here, that's all you need to do. You know, if you're a refugee, regardless of whatever the reasons are for you coming, if you can actually step off that boat onto land, which is British, you're never leaving. I mean, it's as simple as that, isn't it? Uh, that, that is the basic reality. Um, unfortunately, uh, you were, you were, I regret to say, wrong in your naive optimism about the Rwanda <laughs> policy. Uh, but, uh, but uh, look, in Listen, a sense, I'm they still... tried something. And look, I have no problem, actually, with the idea that you've got to try something. Yeah. And they've been... But you've got to properly try it as opposed to, to just well, exactly. announce it and but, then not do it. But they've been essentially completely blocked by the European Court of Human mm. Rights, which is why we've got to pull out of the European Convention on Human Rights got to do Brexit properly and then we're back in control yeah and then we can you know have our appropriate uh, policies to control our borders properly so that we welcome those lawful immigrants that we want to come and help yeah in sensible numbers that work for our economy but it, we make it very clear you can't come here illegally and jump the queue no it's very simple it seems to me but I mean another person who is absent without leave it seems and I don't know whether she's on holiday is Pretty Patel I mean I haven't seen hide nor hair of her um, since Boris Johnson resigned uh, absolutely right. Uh, I understand that she's expecting to return to the backbenches, and so yeah, she's probably so enjoying. So the office is shut down for so the summer. It, it's, it seems that uh, yeah, nothing's going on. Mm. She's gone very very quiet, uh, which is unlike her because yeah. normally she likes to be for you know at the front, uh, sort of you know banging the drum right. and saying we're going to sort this out. Mm. Uh, she seems to have given up. She's gone on holiday. Um, you know, no sign of Keir Starmer whatsoever. It's just not uh, with good any enough, form really, of is it? it? Actually, it really isn't good enough, and I think that. Uh, those of us who've been saying maybe Parliament should be recalled mm. in order to uh, to debate these issues and arrive at a, uh, a consensual solution, because we're essentially approaching a national emergency, a national crisis. Mm. This energy crisis, in a different way, could become as bad as the COVID crisis yeah. in terms of the impact on many more millions mm. of people. Yeah. And look at the drag factor, if you like, for want of a better word, in the NHS. You know, the damage that COVID did, and not so much the actual disease as the, the, the direction that the NHS took because of COVID and the restrictions that they placed on it. You know, the cancer figures are worse than ever. You know, we've seen terrible stories of people who are now dead as a result of not getting treatment, as a result of having their chemotherapy suspended. I mean, all kinds of horror stories. And so the drag sort of coefficient that could be taken from this energy crisis could go on for years, couldn't it? Uh, it Absolutely could. There's so much collateral damage mm. all over the place. Um, and, you know, so much of the UK at the moment just isn't working. Yeah. Much of it as a inevitable collateral uh, damage from uh, from the lockdowns that went on too long, from furlough that went on too long. Um, but according to Jacob Rees-Mogg, who's clearly in touch with, uh, with progress, um, we shouldn't worry because at least the England test team is doing OK at test cricket. I mean, you know, that's the extent to which mm. they seem to be out of touch yes. with the depth and of the And all of that sort of hell, fellow well-met stuff worked 
once. It doesn't work now. And, uh, it so, d- you know, let's change the record, guys. Richard, great to see you. Uh, back on Sunday for the Sunday Back on uh, Sunday. Sunday lots, sermon. lots going on. Uh, look out for the Sunday sermon. Right. It'll be another big one. Are you giving a man on Sunday another splash? <laughs> saving them some work? Um, I'll keep that. We keep shall that see. Secret. Richard Tice, back on Sunday. Uh, we're back after this. We'll take your calls as well. This is Talk TV. Welcome back to Talk TV and welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham. It feels great to be back, by the way, because while it's very nice to do breakfast and I'm very happy to do it whenever Julie Hartley Brew is not around, uh, this is where I belong, isn't it? This is where we belong in the mid-morning slot, 10 till 1, every single day, five days a week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, because uh, this is where we get all the common sense and we put it all into one big bag uh, and we make some pretty good decisions. We hear from all of you about what you're worried about, what you need to do, uh, what you need from the government to help you get through this particularly busy period, this particularly difficult period where prices are going through the roof, uh, where the sunshine is shining uh, and where you don't need to be told uh, to wear a hat uh, or to drink water. In fact, you might not be able to drink any water because apparently you can't get any. Uh, there is no bottled water for sale out there. If you see any, uh, do let me know. If you're seeing people, I've, I've heard from somebody uh, who went to one of those big wholesale warehouse places, you know, I'm not going to give the name, but you can probably figure out what it is. And they were told that they could only take one six pack of water away at a time and these are places where a lot of um, um, sort of shop owners go to stock up for their own shops so I want to hear from you uh, if there are shortages of things because you know that's what we like to do here we're also going to talk about parking coming up I've got a parking story for you uh, that will make your hair stand on end and also uh, there's a couple of parking stories in the news today as well so we want your parking stories have you been chased for a parking fee uh, that you didn't owe uh, have you been taken to court by one of these private parking cowboy operations and how difficult is it sometimes just to even pay for parking that's going to be my story uh, we're going to talk now though to andrew bowie uh, conservative mp for west aberdeenshire and king Carlin, still supporting rishi sunak there's not many of them left i have to say andrew very good morning to you good morning mike how are you doing yeah, i'm very well indeed now listen uh, you have to be held up as one of the most loyal mps in the history of uh, the tory party because an awful lot of um, tory mps are deserting rishi sunak and going over to the other side aren't they no, I don't think that's true. I think we've only seen one person who publicly declared for Rishi uh, moving across uh, to Liz's side. Uh, Rishi's camp is still uh, full of uh, very supportive MPs who are determined to see him across the line into 10 Downing Street. There's still uh, quite a long way in this competition to go, and only I think only a third of Conservative members have voted in this election thus far, so it's all to play for as we go into the final three yes. weeks. Yes, and presumably nobody knows how they voted. Um, of course, they might change their minds because they're allowed to vote more than once, aren't they? Uh, not anymore, uh, Mike. That rule was uh, changed uh, after consultation with GCHQ. There was thought to be a security risk with that uh, procedure. So Tory members are only allowed to vote once right. in this election, but they can vote either by post or online. But it's only once they're allowed to cast their vote. OK. Now, I don't know whether you managed to see me interviewing Theresa Villiers the other day, who's also supporting Rishi Sunak. Uh, about 175,000 people have seen it so far. Uh, she couldn't yeah. tell me how he was going to reduce inflation in this country. Can you tell me? Well, I mean, one of the biggest problems we've got to combat is the rise in energy prices, which is obviously being caused by inflation. And he's going to be supporting 16 million vulnerable people in this country by uh, taking away their paying their energy bills altogether, as well as reducing by 200 pounds everybody's energy bill uh, by getting rid of uh, VAT. Uh, on energy, which I think is a very sensible uh, way to move forward. I think it's what the British people want to hear as they look forward to what's going to be a very difficult uh, few months and years. But obviously, we don't know to the pound and the penny exactly what support Rishi's going to bring forward for everyone because we don't know the exact scale of the crisis that we're facing. And we can't prejudge what would be in any budget uh, set out by whoever is going to be Prime Minister. So therefore, I can't go into great detail as to how Rishi's going to be getting inflation under control. What I can tell you is that he's not going to be making any unfunded 
tax cuts or any proposals to make any unfunded tax cuts on the back of unfunded borrowing, because that really will uh, increase inflation and will do nothing to get it under control, get us back to where we want to be, which is a growing economy, so that we can then responsibly cut taxes. And that's what Rishi's right. been uh, saying all the, along. The, the amount of money you've just mentioned to me, 200 quid per household, that's about 5%, isn't it? Because VAT on, on, on fuel and energy cost in the house is 5%. So you're talking about giving people £200 to help them pay a £4,000 bill. One, yeah, that's not going to make any difference to their lives. Two, how are you going to reduce inflation by giving away money? Well, uh, firstly, uh, on the first point, we're already giving £400 off of energy bills, a result of decisions that Rishi has already taken. And 16 million vulnerable people will have their energy bill paid, paid uh, supported completely uh, by £10 billion that we are offering to soften the blow of these increased in, uh, energy uh, prices. So we, we are taking action to support the most vulnerable. And there will be more support for pensioners uh, in the country as well, up to £1,200 per person, as opposed to the £400 that we were offering originally off of energy bills. And how will this not increase inflation? Because small, uh, responsible borrowing is a very sensible, conservative government measure to take to deal with immediate crises. Well, Rishi That's Sunak is hardly known for small, responsible borrowing, is he? I mean, this is a guy um, who borrowed so much money uh, that we are now uh, in, a, in a sort of negative growth economy as a result. He, borrow, he borrowed money to keep the uh, country uh, open and functioning during the worst uh, medical and economic crisis this country has ever well, faced. Well, it's an economic crisis money. now, but it wasn't. An, but it wasn't. An, hang on, it wasn't an economic crisis when he did that. Uh, it would have, we had to go into lockdown, Mike. If no, we didn't have to go into lockdown. There, no, Mike, that's not to... true. No, yes, you can say true. that a decision was taken, Andrew, and that decision was rightly taken, but you you can't say we had to go into lockdown because lockdown takes many forms, as you well know. And, then, yeah. and, and it's been agreed by many people, including many members of the cabinet and the former cabinet, that some of the decisions that were made were clearly wrong and were not necessary. Right. So Boris Johnson and his cabinet, on the advice of experts, took the country into lockdown in February 2020. That was to save lives and protect the NHS. And we did that. But thanks to Rishi Sunak's actions, we also kept 11 million people in work, kept the economy functioning, saved thousands of businesses from going under, introduced Eat Out to Help Out to ensure the hospitality sector was kept open. And by the way, thanks to Rishi Sunak pushing hard against a further lockdown last December, we were able to protect Christmas trading from many companies in this country. I think Rishi cannot be criticised for the actions he took uh, during the pandemic. When I speak to businesses in my constituency and businesses around the country that were only kept open or kept functioning, thanks to the efforts of Rishi in the Treasury at the time, I think that we'll look back on that period and thank uh, thank him for what he did. Well, you know what you should do? You should go to some of the small businesses in your constituency, Andrew, and talk to them because some of them didn't get any money at all. And there were a very substantial number of people who got no help whatsoever from the Treasury. And despite many, many campaigns to try and get some help, Rishi Sunak continually refused to give them any. Some businesses in that area have gone out of business, and that's thanks to Rishi Sunak as well. Yeah, but many, many more businesses were kept open and not everybody could... Well, what can you say to those whose them. businesses have failed, though, who didn't get any money? What do you say look, to them? I mean, well, look, the, the, the fact that we kept the majority of the economy open and functioning, the fact that we kept people in work, the fact that we've got more people on payroll employment than ever before in this country allowed this country, country to open up quicker than many of our comparable 
sister countries across Europe or indeed across the Western world, which allowed companies to reopen, to re-employ, to get trading again, which meant that we were in a better position coming out of that crisis than many other comparable countries. Now we've got a further crisis here, fueled by inflation, fueled by Vladimir Putin's invasion of Ukraine, which we're having to face right now. And I trust Rishi Sunak to take the action necessary to deal with this crisis as he did the crisis back in 2020. All right, let me ask you an honest question. I expect an honest answer. Do you really think Rishi Sunak is going to win this contest? And do you really yes. think that he is going to be prime minister? Yes. Really? Okay. Yes. What makes you think that? Because he's behind in all the polls um, and everybody says that he is responsible for the economic deprivation that they're suffering from. So not everybody says that he is responsible for the economic deprivation they're they're suffering from. People, uh, a lot of people recognise there's a huge amount of international factors on the back of a global uh, a medical crisis that we faced in 2020, and on the back of Vladimir Putin's illegal invasion of Ukraine that has fueled the economic crisis we're facing right now. But what makes me think that Rishi Sunak will get to number 10? Because we've still got three, four weeks of this competition to go, because only a third of Conservative Party members have voted thus far. And because the more people see uh, and hear from Rishi Sunak, the more they are convinced that he is the person who is who is most likely to take the action necessary when he gets into 10 Downing Street, having proven that in uh, number 11 Downing Street to deal with the situation we're facing right now as a country. Mel, I think he needs to be a bit more open about what he plans to do. So you can give him that message from me and you can tell him he should come and talk to me as well because uh, he keeps hiding from me. I don't know why. Uh, this is Talk TV. Thank you very much indeed. Andrew Barry, Conservative MP for West Aberdeenshire and King Cardin. Um, he thinks Rishi Sunak's going to win. Will he be the last man standing? This is Talk TV. Fast Talk. Street Talk. Mike Graham. Fighting the good fight with all his might. Providing a welcome dose of common sense for the common people. Solid Talk. Hot Talk. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. See it. Hear it. Think it. Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Thank you for making us the biggest show uh, here on the station. And thank you very much indeed for continuing uh, to support Talk TV in everything that we do. Coming up in this hour, we'll be doing uh, something that very few other outlets do. We will be telling you the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth about what is going on on our shores. Richard Tice uh, was telling us earlier on uh, that he was down in uh, the Kent coast earlier this week. Uh, didn't see any migrant boats coming in because they don't really come in to that particular part of Kent. They come in, obviously, uh, through Dover with the Border Force, with the RNLI, but they also land in places like Dungeness, in places like Pet Level, uh, in places even like Hastings, sometimes without any kind of escort from the Border Force, and sometimes uh, so that people can simply get off the boat and walk into whatever the nearest town is. That's why I believe, and I've said this many times, that the numbers of people coming are far greater than anybody really knows. We'll be talking to Dr. Rakib Hassan, a social policy analyst and writer. We'll also be showing you some footage shot exclusively for us uh, by our correspondent Kim uh, down in Dungeness. She goes down there on a regular basis uh, because she lives along that coast uh, where she sees these boats arriving on a basically uh, hourly basis uh, where many, many people uh, who get into uh, this country never leave. And it's extraordinary. Richard Tice, of course, last week gave us the story of the Albanian connection, where 40% of those arriving uh, on the small boats, on the dinghies that are coming in, are actually from Albania. Why they're coming here illegally is anybody's guess, because they could come legally if they so wished. Uh, Albania is a NATO country. It is not a war-torn country. People are not being tortured there. Uh, so let us get from uh, Dr. Rakib Hassan uh, a real figure as to what is going on. Later on in the hour, we're going to be talking about the NHS and the typical problems that they're facing. Also, we'll keep taking your calls on the whole Rishi Sunak 
versus Liz Truss scenario as well, because quite frankly, many of you uh, are not happy with the choice that you are being presented with. And I can't say that I blame you. Uh, let's talk to Dr. Rakiba San right now. Rakiba, very good morning to you. Welcome. Morning, Mike. How are you? Yeah, very well indeed. Um, some things never change. You know, I went away back end of July, came back. Uh, we're pretty much still in the same place, particularly on this particular issue. Uh, incredible uh, news last week that broke, thanks to Richard Tice, about the Albanian connection. Mm. Um, what have you got for us today? I mean, we've seen a story today, which is hard to believe, that some Afghan refugees in hotels in this country are refusing to be relocated to Scotland and Wales because they think it's a bit too cold for them. Well, Mike, uh, as you say, some things never change. And the reality is we still have an utterly dysfunctional asylum system. Um, You're talking about the Albanian connection there, where there was a new military intelligence report, which uh, revealed that from June the 1st to July the 12th, 37.5% uh, of those who uh, illegally entered the UK via the English Channel originated from Albania. And as you said, Mike, Albania is not a conflict-ridden country. It has not experienced conflict since the 1997 Albanian civil war. Um, that was a civil war that resulted, uh, um, that came about as a result of failed uh, pyramid schemes yeah. as Albania yeah. was transitioning from a former communist country uh, to a market economy. And Albania, of course, like many countries, it has problems surrounding institutional corruption, organized crime. There's also historically predominant cultural honor codes. But the, but the reality is that Albania overall um, is a country where uh, freedom of assembly and freedom of religion is generally respected. So the fact that such a notable chunk of those who are um, part of these illegal channel crossings originate from Albania, it very much undermines that open borders argument that ultimately the vast majority of people that are illegally entering the UK are originating from conflict-ridden territories where there's rampant violence and persecution. That's not the case. Yes. And also, what's very interesting about what Richard Tice managed to find out through this leaked report, which was ex which was essentially a Department of Defence report, mm -hmm. is that it's far easier to find out where people are coming from than we've been led to believe. Because we've been told, of course, that an awful lot of people basically um, will throw away their documentation, they chuck their phones in the sea, they arrive in Dover, uh, basically stateless. They can't tell anybody where they're from. Nobody can tell where they are from. But clearly that's not true. Well, it's not true. And I think that there are those who ultimately are perfectly comfortable with further undermining the integrity of our national borders. Um, they have a, they're clearly motivated in terms of concealing the ethnic um, background of those who are illegally entering the UK via the English Channel. Mm. And, and as, as I said there, a notable chunk originating from Albania. But even so, even if people are originating from conflict-ridden territories, um, something that I've said before to you, Mike, is that we need to be prioritising those who are most at risk of violence and persecution. Mm. At the moment, we have this kind of Darwinian survival of the fittest arrangement where largely able-bodied young men um, are illegally entering the UK um, through these uh, journeys, which are admittedly physically challenging journeys, which are facilitated by people smuggling infrastructures. And that fundamentally undermines public confidence 
in our border security system and our asylum regime. Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, I asked this question to Richard Tice. Where's Priti Patel in all of this? I mean, I don't think I've seen her or heard anything from her since Boris Johnson resigned. I mean, has she effectively no longer uh, occupying the job of uh, Home Secretary? Well, I have to be honest, uh, Mike, something that we've discussed before. Uh, she's, she's underperformed as Home Secretary. Now, of course, um, we know full well that there are domestic obstructionists um, for example, you have the kind of open borders activists, um, you have uh, human rights lawyers mm. who, who, have under, who have tried their best to thwart any kind of government effort uh, to reform the asylum system. But ultimately, it's the job of our leading politicians to find ways and think strategically when it comes to facilitating the kind of reforms that they want to complete. Mm. So in that sense, you have to look at the performance of Priti Patel as Home Secretary, and people have to ask, has she done a good job? The latest figures, especially when it comes to illegal immigration, suggest otherwise. Well, they really do. And again, like everything else that currently seems to be in sort of, uh, you know, free fall or, mm. um, you know, treading water mode, Nothing's being done. I mean, from what we can see, the border force are continuing uh, to make these uh, people's passage easy, uh, continuing mm. to help them onto their own boats to bring them in, uh, as, are, as are the RNLI. Um, but I've always said, and I, I don't know what your view of this is, um, is that, you know, there are many, many more people coming. We've got a count here of 2,309 mm. crossing the channel by boat in August alone. And it's only, you know, August the 12th, for heaven's sake. Uh, we're told 19,000 so far this year. Um, I would say probably double that number because there are many who come, as Kim, our Talk TV viewer, will tell us mm. down in Dungeness, who simply arrive without any border force uh, presence whatsoever and will simply walk off those boats into whichever town these happens to be nearest. Well, I, I, in my view, this is something I've said many times before, Mike. It is a national security and public safety risk. Mm. It is. Uh, ultimately, if you are um, in the business of sustaining a sovereign nation state, a huge ha part of that is uh, maintaining the integrity of your borders. Yeah. And at the moment, we've had members of the border force openly admitting that they don't really believe in national borders. Yes. Which is absolutely remarkable in itself. Mm. So what we need to do, we need to have a border border force, which ultimately includes people who are protective mm. of our national borders. You think that that's so obvious, but at the moment that's clearly not the case. Well, exactly. Let's just talk a little bit about the breaking story today about the mm. Afghan refugees still being put up in hotels. We now know uh, that it's costing minimum five million pounds a day, probably more than that, as more and more people join the uh, the fray. Uh, we know an awful lot of hotels in this country are simply unavailable uh, mm. for uh, for occupancy because they are sold to Serco for the foreseeable future. Um, imagine, though, an Afghan refugee saying, I don't really fancy going to Scotland. It's a bit cold. I mean, it's incredible, isn't it? I, I, I think if, if, if that is true, that is absolutely incredible. And I think it demonstrates that, in my view, people portray Britain um, as a mean-spirited country at times, especially... Um, people who belong to the modern left, um, social uh, liberals who continue to be miffed over Brexit. They do all they can to portray Britain as a mean-spirited country, when I've always felt that it's an, uh, it's an astonishing land of generosity. Yes. Um, Britain can and should take pride in its rich history when it comes to rehoming the world's most persecuted mm. peoples. But I do think at times Britain's benevolence and altruism um, has been taken for granted. 
So I think that that is a very serious problem. I think that when it comes to um, our asylum system, Britain ultimately has a right to decide how refugees and um, uh, asylum seekers, with the support of local authorities, of course, I think that's very important, yeah. right? So make this point that it's our poorer, more deprived areas that disproportionately bear the brunt yes. of rehoming pro processes. And much of that is down to the fact that central government will obviously give grants to local authorities. So far, 7,000 Afghan refugees have received permanent accommodation through councils, but the Home Office say there's a remaining 9,500 yet to be housed, right? Um, about 350 councils have signed up to house Afghan refugees, but officials are saying it's a complex process. Lord Harrington, who's the refugees minister, has appealed to councils to help get people out of hotels and into housing. Now, you know, there's perfectly good arguments to be made for people to say these people mm. deserve to be given housing, but there's also pretty good arguments to say that there are other people in this country uh, who have been waiting for housing, for social housing, for affordable Absolutely. housing for a very, very long time. And what the government doesn't seem to get here is that that really annoys people. Of course it would, because ultimately there's that perception that um, resources... Uh, that they're ultimately being um, prioritised for being um, allocated to refugees and asylum seekers. I think something you discussed earlier there, Mike, you talked about hotels, mm. uh, homing um, asylum seekers. And um, th th I think the one thing there that's often overlooked is that those hotels, in a way, play a great role in those local communities in terms of bringing together mm. local residents for special occasions, yeah. whether it's birthday parties, right. wedding receptions, and all the rest of it. Now, people may feel that they're not able to do that anymore right. um, it, with those hotels ultimately um, homing asylum seekers. Mm. So what's going on here is that you're, the facilities that would usually be used by established local communities are no longer available. Mm. No. And I think on, t on top of that, Mike, you're talking about the resources, of course, that there are many British people who will say that we have a housing crisis, that we have local public services which are seriously under strain. Mm. This is precisely why we need a streamlined immigration and asylum system to ensure that successful social integration takes place over a sensible period of time. Absolutely right. Rakeem, we've got to leave it there. Thank you very much, though, for your help. Dr. Rakeem Hassan, social policy analyst and writer. Extraordinary story, this, um, that some people will not be moved to certain parts of the country because they don't like the weather. Brilliant. Um, meanwhile, 9,000 or so still need to be found homes. Now, it's all very well being the generous country that we are here in this uh, United Kingdom. But, you know, there are plenty of people who are already living here, who were already here before the Afghan refugees came, who are waiting for housing. And what are you going to say to them? Sorry, guys, uh, the Afghan refugees are going ahead of you. Well, that's not really a great recipe for social cohesion, is it? This is Talk TV. Nationwide, by your side, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Lots to do, lots to, lots going on. We've got lots of great tweets and texts coming in. Many of you want to talk to me as well. Sir Max says, would it work if we shelved the COVID debt into a long-term plan? Cap fuel bills to 1,500 quid for those earning under £100,000. Government pays the rest. Ban energy companies from taking profits and dividends for three years. Drop tax on fuel for 12 months. Well, all of those are eminently sensible things to do. I'm slightly wary, of course, of becoming too much of a socialist state uh, where you say to 
to companies you can't make any money. However, I think in this case, where you've got absolute profiteering going on, uh, surely the government should step in. And certainly, I'm not against having an argument about whether uh, to nationalise something if there is evidence that it will be run better and it will be run uh, by people who know what they're doing, because there's a great lack of that, it seems to me, in all sorts of areas of this country, including the NHS, which we're about to talk to Michael Simmons about from The Spectator. Let me just read you this from Pete. Um, When I worked, we had to have a core team available every day of the week to look after our customers, including Christmas Day. Why can't our government do the same? Um, Well, that's a very good question. And here's one uh, as well from uh, Emma, who says, oh, no, Andrew Bowie doesn't seem to know what Rishi's going to do to reduce inflation either. Does Rishi even know what he intends to do? I don't think so. Well, they seem incredibly reluctant to actually give away any plans as to what their plan would actually be. But I tell you what, there is no doubt about. There is no doubt that the NHS currently really does need uh, to pull its finger out. A&E activity has fallen. A&E troubles are affecting ambulance services. Uh, More people are waiting over a year for treatment. We had a sort of boast, strange boast earlier in the week to say that, you know, people waiting longer uh, had been reduced in number so that there were fewer people now waiting over three years for treatment. Well, it's hardly something to shout about, is it? Um, Let's face it, waiting more than 12 hours to be treated inside an A&E department is nothing to shout about either. Michael Simmons is here, data journalist at Spectator. Michael, uh, very good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. I mean, your figures and the piece you've, you've done in The Spectator is quite uh, terrifying, really, when you see the scale uh, of the collapse of the NHS. It doesn't appear to be getting any better, does it? Yeah, um, if anything, it's getting worse. Um, after, you know, we had the winter crisis during the Omicron wave, when we were hearing every month about how A&Es run pressure as we went into spring some of the sort of problems seemed to start to subside but the in yesterday's data that covered um june and may um, and july everything just seems to have got worse again as mm. you say there's nearly 30,000 people waiting more than 12 hours for um, admission to a e departments uh, one year waits have increased the total waiting list for nhs treatment has gone up to um 6.7 million people um, 5% of patients are waiting more than a year and you know there's just records record a number of ambulance calls um, and what's I think really terrifying doctors and people that look at this is that let's not forget you know we're in summer when respiratory viruses are bay, people aren't kind of slipping over on like icy streets and you know this is meant to be a quieter time but it seems busier than ever mm. and you know, can the NHS cope with this pressure? Well, yeah. And it's also supposedly uh, a time when more money was pumped into the system because of the Rishi Sunak hike in national insurance. And that's in the front of the Daily Mail this morning. Um, 6.7 million people in England waiting for routine hospital treatment in July. Uh, this is obviously based on, on, on your figures as well. But where's all the extra funding going is what they're asking. And it's a good question. Yeah, so, I mean, whenever there's a story about the NHS, the kind of common uh, refrain you get is, oh, well, it's, it's underfunded. But, yeah. I mean, that just isn't the case if you look at what's year, you know, year on year adjusted for inflation, so real terms. The NHS budget is just getting bigger and bigger. Um, but I guess our population is ageing as well. And what we're asking our NHS to do is just kind of not catching up with what we're, what we're sort of capable mm. of. Um, but obviously the issue goes you know, further than funding. It's about how it's run, how we retain the staff um, and what we actually expect from the, the health service. A big part of the problem will be GPs. That, you know, I think we discussed this last time I was on talking about excess deaths. So you basically just can't get a GP appointment now. Yeah. And that is kind of sending people to A&E. I mean, if you ring your GP receptionist now, they will say to you, you know, 
come in two weeks, or if it's really bad, go to A&E. So that kind of problem is just piling, piling pressure into the emergency department. Absolutely right. And also, you've got a problem with um, staffing levels. But yet, even as we look around, there are still adverts going into um, various places like The Guardian um, and other medical journals asking for, you know, diversity managers and the sustainability uh, officers and all this kind of thing. You know, the NHS is still not really getting the message that they're hiring too many people who don't actually do anything medical. Yeah, so I mean, uh, I guess that's for others to say, but I think it's, it's certainly the case that when we're in this much of a crisis, you would think that any resource you have, you would pile into getting as many um, front frontline staff you can get, as many extra be- um, beds you can get, rather than these sort of side issues. Mm, absolutely right. But let's look at some of these figures as well. Uh, the number of people waiting over a year for treatment, uh, because they were sort of boasting earlier in the week, weren't they, that they'd managed to sort of shave off Um, the waiting times for people waiting longer, I think, than three years. This says that 24,000 more people um, are are now waiting for over a year for treatment. It's now 356,000, which is already 100,000 above privately projected levels. Um, So, I mean, I can't see how they're going to bring these numbers down. Can you? Yeah, so um, they... They, they've been focusing on this two-year waiting list because they wanted to eradicate that. And they have made progress on that, but all it has really done is just grown this, um, this one-year list. And mm. there doesn't seem to be a kind of a clear plan. And um, we hear talk about, you know, there'll be like regional treatment hubs and things like that, but we kind of, these are people now who are, or have already been waiting a year, in some cases in extreme pain, and they need help. And as, as you mentioned, uh, the privately projected figures, the Spectator revealed um, NHS modelling that they had in February, mm. that they thought by now that the one-year list would be um, kind of diving down. But actually, it's just going up almost vertically. Mm. Yeah, absolutely right. And the other thing is, is that, you know, and we know that, that COVID was the cause of an awful lot of these waiting lists lengthening, if you like, and that people were waiting for longer and longer. But you would also think, because I know this from just anecdotal information, many people have taken the decision, even if they can't afford it, to go privately because they need to get the treatment. You would think that that would reduce the numbers somewhat, but it doesn't seem to be. Yeah, I mean, that, that's one of the, the biggest puzzles about this, that more and more people um, are seeking private health care. But yeah, it, as you say, it just doesn't seem to um, be bringing down the pressure. Mm. Um, but I think part of it is even if there are less people relying on, say, NHS GPs, because what's originally a minor health problem is left to kind of fester for weeks and weeks, it becomes a more complex condition that needs maybe consultant treatment, needs hospital appointments. So even if you're reducing the number because people are being driven private, the people you're left with are way more complicated. So it's still a bigger demand on resources. Yeah, absolutely right. And just finally, um, uh, Michael, the uh, cancer diagnosis figures are worse than ever as well. We had Professor Carol Sakura on uh, this week on Breakfast talking about um, his despair, really, um, at how he knows how you would get these cancer figures um, you know, better, but nothing's happening. Yep. So um, when Sajid Javid was health secretary, he was very keen on this 75% target, which is that anyone who's suspected of having cancer, they have to either have cancer diagnosed or ruled out within 28 days. Mm. Um, And that each month, um, that target has been just been slipping and it's now down to 70%, which is um, the lowest level it's been um, for a while. And as you say, a part of this is because during COVID, uh, people who were going for cancer treatment, going for cancer diagnosis, we're told, oh, you need to isolate mm. or you can't come in because we're shutting down parts of the service. And now there's this just huge backlog. And OK, while if we take, say, hip replacements, people are in pain, but it's, it's maybe not life and death. With cancer, it is literally life and death that the longer these people are left, 
the worst chances they have of survival. Mm. So it's really important that they try and meet this target. Absolutely right. Michael, great to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Michael Simmons there, data journalist at The Spectator, with some horrific figures that show the NHS is not only not improving, uh, it's getting worse for people who are waiting for a, a, an operation. If you're one of those people, we'd like to hear your stories, of course, as ever. 0344 499 1000 is the number. Penny Smith coming up very shortly. Uh, we'll find out what she's up to. Sebastian Gorka, uh, of course, is going to be on after the news at midday as well to tell us the latest on Donald Trump and the FBI. This is Talk TV. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.